2: When I was a Christian, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point. A second generation was I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I believe my eyes were all the back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first
3: questions I asked was, God...
0: morning, just basically said, do you know what they did to us? That's when I fled that home. But no, they, they well, would, would they touch they, me. They, they would
3: take pictures of my head if they wanted, they wanted to communicate with me. We've
1: got
4: a Gauss meter, which measures magnetic fields, seven point five. We've got ultrasound machine. It's right there. It's hard, physical, demonstrative, not illusionary. And welcome to Conspiracy Normal, everybody. This is your host Adam Sane, as always. Your co-host Luke, <laughs> quote unquote co-host, oh, right?
5: Luke Skyrider. <laughs> <laughs>
6: oh yeah, 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 yeah. Blake, you know, nobody
4: wants to know part, your Blake.
5: name, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Luke Beep. That's my lame name. Yeah, don't use that one. Please.
4: <laughs> and, of course, producer Rob over How's it going? On the Ones and Twos. <laughs> and we have sitting in with us tonight jeff heim from the leisure hour hello hello babe how's it going jeff oh man i'm sassy i'm sassy tonight i mean it only feels like you were just on the show about 10 minutes ago but i think it's really been a week hasn't it we i got have, some uh, weird I've missing started, time alien abduction
7: i've started stuff going time on travel here. it's a uh, time travel underwear i'm wearing mm-hmm.
5: we just yes. had bro sleepovers all week uh, yeah yeah that's what <laughs> we
4: did yeah we've been in the <laughs> same room it's a dude know. pile Recording podcasts and and, uh, piling, all right? (laughs) Well, tonight, guys, uh, we have on a guest that I'm very excited about. And we're going to talk about this guest's film that he has made called Detestable. And this is a documentary about satanic ritual abuse. And this is a subject that I find, find very interesting. I must admit that I am kind of 50-50 on it myself on kind of the um, – some of the stories that are out there, whether it's real, whether it is not. And I'm hoping that our guests can kind of shine, can kind of shine a light on that for us. And that is uh, Mr. Tom Dunn. Tom, welcome to Conspiranormal. It's actually been a long time coming.
8: No kidding. Hey, thank you so much, Adam. Thank you guys for having me on. I am excited to be here.
4: Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. You know, Tom, you were kind of, in a way, responsible for this happening, uh Normal, because uh, I met you way back in 2009. I went to a, it was a conference with L.A. Marzulli. Russ Dizdar, and another guy, I think his name was Gary Ka. Gary Ka. Yeah. And uh, I went to that, and that was in Mansfield, Ohio. I drove seven hours to get there, stayed the, the two days of it. It was at a theater there in downtown Mansfield. My hometown. Exactly. Yep. And yeah, also famous for the uh, the big penitentiary. That's there. That was the, the Shawshank Redemption, and is all, all the ghost shows. Uh, this, uh, you know, I met you there actually, and we kind of s- struck up a conversation when you asked where I was from. I said, kind of drove up from Nashville. You said you used to live here, so we kind of got to talk, and then and uh, then a couple of years later. You actually came here to Nashville and put on the Last Days Conference, and that was in 2011. Uh, That was actually a week before we had the – no, 2010. It was actually a year later, and that was a week before we had the massive flood here and as a matter of fact where you had that conference at that hotel was an area that was that was flooded at that at that time and that was where i actually met uh, a few people that i've had on the show since then which would be uh Doctor Future, Tom Bionic, of course, a Future Quake, um, Guy Malone. He's been on the show. Elliot uh, Marzulli, I already know. I had him. I've had him on. Uh, Chris Putnam was there. I've had him on. So uh, you kind of were like the catalyst in the start of that, Tom. So I guess I should thank you for
8: it. <laughs> That's really cool. I've heard that more than once. And in yeah. fact, yeah, there there's somebody in the film that got connected with us because of a conference so that's kind of neat how that happens you don't know who you influence so
4: yeah i actually i met uh, i think chris white there too um andrew hoffman i don't think we actually talked then but i think i did briefly meet him at the time so quite a few people that uh, later on became pretty instrumental and of course dr future was very instrumental in helping me get this off the ground i mean i think he was an influence to us all with future quake so did he ever had no. you on there on future quake
8: no, I was never on Future Quake. The closest I came is they talked about my conference, and I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, yeah. And he and he and he spoke at the conference, which was awesome.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember he spoke about the uh, I think the Pharmacia. Right, and uh, we've actually had him. We actually had him come on um, about uh, uh, two years ago, three years ago, talking about that. And he's been on many times since then. So Mike's a real good friend of the show. But uh, Tom, let's get into this documentary. Um, This documentary is called Detestable. Um, As I mentioned before, it is about satanic ritual abuse. And I kind of want to start off talking about how you came up with the idea to make this film. And, you know, also why the title Detestable what does that mean?
8: Okay. Um, well, first of all, the the title detestable comes directly out of the book of Ezekiel chapter eight, where um, God takes Ezekiel to show him what's going on in the temple in the middle of the night. And he uh, it's kind of really descriptive there where he grabs Ezekiel by the hair and he's like, let me show you what's going on. There's some crazy stuff happening. They're doing human sacrifice. They're doing rituals and All kinds of stuff, and he said, uh, "You know, you don't believe that? I'm going to show you something more detestable." Then he takes him to another place, and he's like, "Dig a hole here," you know. And he digs a hole, and he opens a door, and the people who were worshiping God during the day in the middle of the night were doing all kinds of satanic rituals. So that I took the, um, I took the title from that, from that scripture where it talks about um, where it uses the word detestable. These are detestable things. So I thought it was fitting or uh, to put it on the modern-day uh, take, you know, uh, my film. But um, this film, actually, the idea um, to do it started a long time ago when I uh, heard Russ Dizdar's podcast um, not not long before I met you. And uh, when I was at that uh, conference there in Mansfield, it was actually the second time that I met Russ okay. and was trying to connect with him. And even back then, I was trying to make a film. And my whole reason for contacting Russ the very first time, which was about, I don't know, it was about eight months before that conference, you know, I said, hey, I want to make a movie about what you talk about. And my was, this is crazy stuff. This guy sounds very credible. He doesn't sound crazy. He's a preacher. And he's telling some of the craziest stories I've ever heard in my life. And they're scary. They scared me. And I'm like, this is this is nuts. I want to make a movie out of this because this will this is real, and it's going to scare people. And my whole thing was just the thrill. I wanted to be the one to do that. I didn't really have an interest in the survivors, the victims, the people behind it. You know, the people behind it. I was kind of fearful of them. Mm-hmm. But I was this. You know, the the idea of the thrill of making the film and just kind of going out on the front lines and just doing investigative journalism, that sort of thing, um, kind of overrode, you know, overrode that fear. Um, I had a guy that I was working with and I told him my idea and he's like, no way, there's no way I'm going near that. That, that scares me too much. Hmm. Anyway, um, so, you know, I sent Russ an email. He's like, okay, if you want to make a movie out of this, you know, research this, research this. And I was like, okay, um, and I understood the concept, and I think most people can understand, okay, there are people out there that, are, that do weird stuff. They do rituals, they dress up in robes, okay? Um, this is a real thing that goes on. I think I think the average person would say that somewhere in the world people are doing this, okay? But for me, and I think for a lot of people, the hardest thing to... Um, to come to terms with was the sophistication and the size of the network of the people that did this so just as russ instructed me to i began doing a bunch of independent research and i came across testimonies that lined up with the things that he said from people that did not know him that never heard of him and that didn't know each other and i just kept seeing consistency you know and just parallel testimonies from everywhere between people that had no ability to network and share their stories and you know it's just we hear the same thing all over so what are some that, of
4: the, what are some of the things that that we are hearing Um, what, what, like, what is like some of the, cause I am familiar with Russ, but some other people, like the guys in here, they may not be familiar with it. Some of the people in our audience may not be like, what are some of the, what are some of the claims? What are, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the patterns that we're seeing with, with this, with this
8: stuff? Uh, I'll give you a few examples. Okay. One of the things that I hear all the time, um, that people say is. When they're made, when they're a child and they're involved in satanic ritual abuse, somebody will take a knife and they'll put it in their hands and they will force them to uh, cut uh, a human or an animal. If it's a human, it's from the throat to the groin. You know, I've heard that testimony so many times, again, from people that don't know each other
2: mm-hmm.
8: and they they give the same story. And it's um, it's the same thing, you know. There's a, uh, there's a lady out of Pennsylvania who, uh, she was called the Craigslist killer a couple years ago. And um, I cannot remember her name right now, but um, she told a similar story where her, her and her husband um, got busted killing this guy. They, uh, they did some kind of a dating thing on Craigslist, called him out. Uh, she met him in a car and her husband was hiding in the back seat. They killed him. But when she got arrested, she told her backstory. She said when she was however many years old, maybe uh, 12 or 13 years old, she was inducted into Satanism in Alaska and they didn't use a knife there. They used a gun and she wasn't able to do it. But they put the gun in her hands and they put her their hand on top of her hand and they made her pull the trigger. So that's just, uh, you know, it's a similar story. Um, but for me, her backstory of being involved in Satanism and being introduced to it is believable because of that, because you have, you have the same thing. You have a human sacrifice with a gun, a knife, you know, but it's the same thing, putting a hand over top. You know, we hear stories of people in robes. We hear stories of people, uh, saying doubt, you know, chance drinking blood, uh, sexual abuse, uh, sexual abuse. In a ritual setting, um, forced to do all kinds of just weird stuff, you know, pedophilia, crazy stuff like that. We hear that across the board from witnesses that have, you know, been involved in this.
4: Right. So you have these commonalities, and you have these you have these patterns that are that are that are happening with case from case to case. Right. So it, let's talk about. What kind of like the definition of, well, first of all, ritual abuse, but then satanic ritual abuse. So how, you know, what, what, what exactly are we talking about here with satan- with, well, with the term SRA, satanic ritual abuse?
8: Okay. Ritual abuse, satanic ritual abuse. It is just what it sounds like. It's abuse of, you know, mo- most of the time, sexual in nature to where they are torturing somebody, you know, um, okay, let's, let's let's take a child, you know, who grew up in this, uh, in a generational satanic family and they, they will tell stories. They were made to, um, they were raped. They were made to have sex with older people and they were made to drink blood. Uh, so it's, it's abuse, it's trauma, um, that is being inflicted upon them in the setting of a Of a satanic ritual, okay? Now, if you take the satanic part out, yes, there are other cults that may not fall under that, you know, under the umbrella of Satanism, but it's, you know, I mean, the devil, he doesn't care what he uses, you know, as long as he gets to abuse somebody, as long as he gets to hurt somebody, you know, you could, I mean, this term doesn't really exist, but you could call it voodoo ritual abuse, you know, you call it whatever, you know, it could be, you know, I mean... Um, it's if sure. it doesn't fall, you know, if it falls in in a ritual, you know, our our sexual abuse happens in quote unquote Christian churches, also, you know, right? So, right, yeah. But so this is this is in the context of a satanic ritual where there's people in robes doing chants, they're uh, sacrificing an animal or a human, drinking blood. It's abuse in that setting. Okay. So
4: when we're talking about these we're t- we're talking about these abuse cases. Um let's talk about some of like the link that we have. Well, okay. Are we talking about like, the like like defining terms here? So are we talking about kind of like because what we see in popular culture most of the time is Satan Satanists, like, you know, they talk about the statue of Baphomet, these guys, Anton LaVey. Are we talking about them or are we talking about something that is deeper, older than that?
8: Maybe well, even no, a- yeah. Yeah, uh, when you have, uh, so, um, okay, let's talk about the Satanic Temple, okay? Uh, these guys have been getting a lot of press in the last few years. They've, um, they had a statue constructed of Baphomet with, two children, you know, there yeah. sitting on his lap or whatever. So this group here, um, they claim that they are Levain-type um, atheistic Satanist. I, I don't even believe that really they're Satanist. I just think they're kind of troublemakers, because mm-hmm. they've just been kind of proven just to be a joke. But um, one of their whole, part of their agenda is to say that actual satanic ritual abuse is um is not real and it's a myth so that this is even in their writings okay so which is kind of bizarre because there hasn't really been an issue with this you know in the public's eyes it was debunked in the late 80s early 90s you know Uh, more more the early 90s so i don't know why you would come out so many years later and say that you know hey this stuff isn't real but also part of their agenda is to go into places like they have, you've seen this, after school Satan. Yeah. And yeah. the whole reason is just to, they are kind of just want to be troublemakers, okay? I, I sincerely don't really think they even care about that, but they're just saying, okay, they want the religious freedoms to be gone because if it's okay for a Christian, for Christians to have an after school program, then why can't the Satanists, okay? So, and then... I, you know, I think part of the idea is like, well, OK, we'll we'll surrender our religious freedom if you stop doing that crazy stuff. But I don't know. It, they're, I don't even take them seriously. They're a joke. I you know, I used to say I can't wait to meet them in public, but I don't even. Well, um,
4: I, I think a lot of them are more kind of like those guys are kind of more like uh, an uh, They're more like Internet trolls that they yes. they just they yes. they just they're just kind of causing a problem or maybe causing an issue to be to be set forth and yeah, and yeah. making it just you know I I really think sometimes with I with like there was this one that happened just kind of going off on a tangent but there was a guy that you know I th- was it Arizona or it might have been Florida I don't know there's been so many of them but like this one guy went in and he um he wanted to do this like satanic chant to open this special session of of the uh the city council or something and they he he had all these protesters going against them Against him about it, and but I think that w- that's really what he wanted to have happen was these protesters to come and cause a scene and cause an issue. Whereas if the protesters had kind of just let it happen and gone away, you know, it wouldn't have been and just ignored him. It wouldn't have been a- an issue at all. So
8: exactly, yeah. I
4: think Is I think it- you have the right attitude there with them of saying that like you know just just ignore it and it you know don't take them seriously and if more people take them seriously seriously, seriously, the more it's going to happen, that that's going to go on. But so like, these guys are more kind of like the Levan Satanists, where they believe that like, they're basically atheists, where they believe Satan is just kind of a symbol of what's dark in man or whatever they believe. But, but we're talking about something that is completely different.
8: Yes, yes. We're talking about, and and again, this is kind of covered in the film, uh, where we talk about it going back even to the book of Ezekiel, you know, we see, you know, um, the dark practices that were going on there. And I mean, th- this is my take on it. Okay. Uh, Satan's plan A was to kill Jesus on the cross. That didn't work. I, I don't want to say that as plan A. I mean, he had a lot of plans to try to even stop that, but you know, we're talking the last 2000 years to try and stop Jesus on the cross. That didn't work. Plan B is to, you know, to what what he's doing now, you know the end game, the to try and put himself into you know an exalted place, you know the antichrist, all that stuff. He's been working on it for two thousand years, and he has followers who are very secretive about what they're doing, and secrecy is their weapon. Sure, um, they uh, they're you know they they would rather sacrifice. Uh, when I say sacrifice, throw somebody under the bus, then be discovered. You know, there's a case right here, um, between my house and the theater, um, where the conference was, there's a church almost exactly in the middle, uh, between those. And back in the, uh, mid nineties, two teenage boys were, um, convicted of molesting. I forget the exact number, but it's, 20 30 or more children okay Jeez. so these kids went you know they went to prison one of them is out now but there's a there's a story you know when you live here and you know, read the newspapers and you know behind the scenes that the parents believe that there was a satanic cult kids from that church said things they had no way of knowing they gave testimony again to people in robes to Uh, devil chance to seeing, uh, baby sacrificed. It's, it's kind of a crazy thing, but, um, the psychiatrist who, um, who worked with every one of these kids, um, I don't know if he's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but anyway, um, he testifies that he believes those kids testimony. So, I mean, you know, we can go on. That's just one example, but that's one that hits close to home for me. Um, again, how do these kids know or have testimony that match testimonies in Australia, that match testimonies in Chicago, that just you know all over the place, you know, in Canada, in California? So um, yeah, we're dealing with families when we talk generational families, or generational Satanism. These are these are the real deal. These are the ones that practice the human sacrifice. Your Levian Satanists are not going to practice this. Okay, right. now you have a lot of um, you also have what would be called what um, what we would describe as experimenters. We used to call them dabblers, but we like the word experimenters better. And this is just some kid that might get a hold of a satanic Bible or a book of spells or where they just kind of mix stuff up and they listen to a lot of uh, dark music. That, that plays uh, a role in this a lot. And... Um, they're like, man, I, I think there might be real power in this. They get involved in it, and you know, sometimes it start off starts off as what they think as innocent Wicca, and they get deeper and deeper, and they end up killing a bird or a hamster or something like that, and then it get, goes deeper, you know, and um, you know, it, it can get dangerous. We take it all seriously, and I mean, we even take people, you know, that are that are similar to the Satanic Temple seriously because. They're messing with stuff that they don't know about or that they don't understand and they think is harmless. But, you know, uh, Anton LaVey did rituals, and he said he didn't believe in anything out there. What was he doing? Where, where was the source of the power to fulfill the rituals? He had to believe in something. Yeah. So.
4: Of course, he justified it and said that it was like, man needs ritual, and if, you know, even though he was an atheist, he still saw the need for it that 's how he justified it. but I totally see what you're saying there mm-hmm. i i do uh, you know, it's um, and it's like it's 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 almost just like you have these different paths and but each one kind of leads to the same point eventually uh, right. is what you're saying there yeah uh, let's talk about the kind of the influence of MK ultra mind control, you know, what, what, how is that? And I know Russ talks about this a lot, but how is that uh, influenced satanic ritual abuse? How is that, how is that a part of it?
8: Well, you know, the connection there, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this when I started making this movie, I did not want to put anything about mind control in the film because I thought it was too much for the viewer I thought we're going to cover this subject and we're not, we'll get into mind control in the second movie. That was the plan. And as I just began talking to people, I just found out that, you know, that that I could not separate these two subjects. I felt like it had to go in there. And I I think the way it came out in the movie was good, but in the film, there is a uh, lady named Kim who Mm -hmm. tells her story and tells the story. And if, and if anybody watches the um, the extended interviews and stuff like that, she tells the story of her mom. So, um, the mind control, um, the connection—you know—the connection that we see is military government wanting to get. You know, what word do I want to use? I, I would almost call it spiritual technology. Okay. And here you have, um, generational satanic families doing rituals, doing, you know, um, subjecting children to trauma and it causes, um, splits in their mind. It's just like a, uh, it's a natural defense mechanism that's uh, built into it. You know, you can only handle so much trauma as a child, then your mind splits. And, um, you have, uh, Separate personalities. It can be anywhere from from five to a hundred or more. So um, this is something that's been documented in the uh, the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the uh, the Bible of uh, psychiatrists. So uh, it's called uh, Multiple Personality Disorder (MPD), but actually now it's called DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder. So I mean, this is a real thing, and um, what we see is. Governments wanting to get a hold of this ability to split personalities, to um, to do mind control, to use it in warfare, to use it you know in the military, to use it in espionage, to use it for spying. There's all kinds of um, you know um, applications you know for mind control. So we see kind of a um, a connection there where people. You know, either in the military, cross over and get involved in the the satanic, the occult side or vice versa. You know, um, I've heard many stories where the military or the government or the police find out about somebody who's involved in doing this stuff. And they offer them some kind of a deal, a plea deal, say, hey, uh, we're not going to send you to prison or to jail. Just let us use your technology or let us use your subjects that you have split. So that's that's kind of the connection there, without going into something really super. You know, um, there's so many rabbit holes we could go down when we're talking about mind control and and what they do and how they do it and the connections. But that's just basically it. You know, in the film, Russ talks about the Nazi influence and how um, the Nazis were just uh, pros at this and used this ability. And then obviously we inherited all of these uh, scientists, you know, who uh, were involved in the occult, this dark stuff. They come over here and they have a big influence, you know, and it was a, um, it was a cold war on many different levels. You know, we, right we see what, you know, we see the headlines in the newspapers and Walter Cronkite and whoever else talking about, you know, for years, what's going on, but it's, you know, it w- it was an arms race when it, when we're talking about people too um using them as spies and and uh using mind control that was you, a whole different level of arms race
4: do you think the possibility of uh right there's there's so much of that I think has been unri- unwritten as well i mean you are right about that It's just being like a that it is a uh mind control like like that was almost the uh, you know, delving into the mind was just about as much of as big as a weapon as the atomic bomb in a way. <laughs> but uh-huh. uh, you, you think the possibility that there could be that this SRA satanic ritual abuse that they that it may be a part of the mind control process. In other uh-huh. words, of like um, wearing somebody down to make them believe that that this is happening to them.
8: Sure, sure. Um, again. So many different um, levels of classification, so many different um, sex, covens, that sort of thing. I mean, we, we hear all that. And yeah, I definitely think that uh, plays a part.
4: Right. What is Kim's story uh, that involves mind control and what happened to her?
8: Well, Kim, um, when, you, when you watch the film, uh, but wow, she, she has such a powerful story and we, um, uh, she reached out to us and heard we were doing the film and wanted to tell her story. And a lot of people reached out to us, but not everybody wanted to be in the film. And she was, uh, she was a person where she's like, you know what? I want to tell my story. I want to help other people. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. This is not exactly about Kim, but it's about her mom. And I can't, I can't remember at this point if it's in the film or if it's in the, extended interview but she tells a story about her mom um this was after world war ii um being used in mind control and they would um they would do things like uh put a hood over her throw her in a van and take her to this uh, military facility where there were all these kids in there and they would um put guns in all the kids hands and they were facing each they were facing another kid and they told him to pull the trigger Okay? So, they do that the first time, and um, so somebody doesn't want to pull the trigger, somebody breaks down crying, they, uh, they pull him out of the room with an earshot, then they beat him almost to death, and all the kids hear this kid getting beat. So, then they come back in the room, and they said, okay, now everybody pull the trigger. Okay? And according to the story, there was one bullet, okay, in all those guns. And it killed, you know, killed another kid. So, Um, and that's the, yeah, that's the idea of, um, you know, just controlling these kids. I mean, this is, this is horrible. I mean, who would even think this up to put it into a movie? I mean, I've never seen anything like this in a movie. So who would think this up to tell this story? So Kim, as she's growing older and she has a lot of trauma from her mom who's been, who's been through this exact scenario. So She finds out her mom has multiple personality or her mom claims she has multiple personalities. So with everything that Kim's been through, she goes to see a counselor and she's like, man, I'm mad at my mom. She says this, she says she's got MPD and then she tells this story and she's just making up excuses for how bad she treats. She treated me. So she told the counselor the story and the counselor said, I don't think your mom's lying about that because we've had many kids or many, many people come through you know these offices and tell that exact same story. So, you know that's an example of of mind control. And again, um, you know, th- th- there's more to that story, and there's there's more involved. And you know, um, Kim Kim's um, grandfather. I don't, I don't want to mess uh, telling this up. It's, uh, she does such a good t- job telling the story. But Kim's mom um, was forced to, uh, to hammer kittens in a bag. Okay. I mean, that's pretty graphic. But, uh, and she wouldn't do it. Okay. So what happened? Her dad put the hammer in her hand and then put the hammer, you know, put his hand over her hand and forced her to do this. Okay.
4: It's almost like a desensitization, desensitizing someone against death.
8: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, he was trying to force her to strangle it and she couldn't do it. She would drop the kitten, you know? And, you know, Kim has a story about what happened to her, you know, with her, uh, rabbit that was given to her. So, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy, crazy stuff that people have been through. It's like, man, you can't make this stuff up. Um, but again, how was that used okay this happened in canada this happened in, uh, in uh, calgary alberta canada and since then okay i'm in a i'm in a meeting with a uh with a police detective this was a few months ago and he begins telling me stories about a, con- a contact he has um connected to another case and the um, the perpetrator in this case was from calgary alberta from a mind control facility up there. Okay.
3: Mm.
7: And
8: I, he, he, this guy's never seen any part of my movie or any, I don't even think the movie was done at that time, but, and he's giving confirmation for something, you know, he didn't give any specifics about what the facility was, but you know, it was a mind control facility in that area of Canada. So, you know, just a separate confirmation. Doesn't even know Kim, never heard of her. And, you know, how did the military, how did the Canadian military use that? I don't know. What were they up to? I don't know. You know, I think they were doing a lot of experimentation, yeah. but they are also, you know, who knows what they were used for.
4: We do know that um, you and Cameron, the doctor that did a lot of experiments, uh, mind control experiments, that he was in Canada, I believe, in Montreal. So there is there is a link there in some of the EMK Ultra literature with um, – with Canada and some Canadian, uh universities and educational institutions with, right. with the CIA. So I definitely see that. I didn't want to ask you about, uh, about something with Kim. Uh, and, and I noticed this in the documentary. She, I believe that you start off with her and she talks about how she had this rabbit and the rabbit was a source of comfort to her. And then these guys, these somebody sacrificed a rabbit, Right on top of her, and uh, she said that they then began to cut her. She said she had the scars to prove it. Did mm-hmm. you?
8: Did you ever get to see the scars? She showed me the scar. It's an X on her chest. She did okay. show me that. Yeah, it's right below her collarbone.
4: Okay. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, because I was I was wondering about that because that would lend veracity to her story.
8: Yes. Okay. Yes, uh, she did. Yeah, she showed it to me. And it was, um, it was the first time she told me that story. We were driving, we were riding in the van and that's the first time that I heard that. And, um, she just, you know, um, afterwards she just kind of leaned over and just, uh, showed me under her, you know, right under her collarbone where the X was. And I was like, wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah." Yeah, her her story was horrifying the ones that she talked about this might have been in the special features, but she talked about how her mother would lock her in a room for days yeah and uh being so thirsty that she had to drink perfume i mean if 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 nothing she experienced some serious neglect and some serious serious child abuse
8: right you know and um I don't know if I put this in the um in the extras but I went, I'm, Russ, Russ Dizdar is the one that trained me. And one of the things he taught me was to verify. Okay. So I just, I look for details and I can't remember the name of the perfume, but she described it. And then I looked it up and I found the kind of bottle that she was talking about that she drank. It was a little, it was a little deer or a little doe. Uh Okay. And I looked it up and not that she couldn't have known that, but I just look for stuff like that to um you know i think details are a sign of truth you know uh the more details that you tell it shows you know that you have experience in being in that situation so yeah i mean no doubt that she was uh, definitely traumatized by the neglect and the isolation that she went through
4: Let's talk about some of the other stories that are in the in the video, and obviously we don't have time to get to all of them and obviously, you want people to view the video and and uh or buy it but you know the um Dr. Gregory Reed was one of the most interesting stories in the book i i mean in the movie sorry, we always talk about books on the show <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know his story uh it just is extremely fascinating and horrifying. So let's kind of talk about his story and the kind of the things that he he went through and some of the things that he showed you out in Southern California.
8: Uh, yeah, Greg Reed's story, I love that guy. Um, he's such a gentle spirit. He's such a good guy and just uh, went out of his way to help me to make this film.
4: And he has written a book about this, right?
8: Yeah, yeah. yeah. He wrote a book. Um, called Nobody's Angel which is a powerful powerful book I highly recommend it you can you can find it on uh, Amazon really good book and it's really easy to read it's like right around 100 pages you can definitely read it in a day and the book is just so raw I mean he's just he's just so transparent and honest in that book. I really recommend it and of course his whole testimony is in the film too but um, the book you know probably goes in a little bit more detail and background. But, um, Greg Reed, I, um, he, um, he's actually not, uh, doesn't live in California now, but he met me back there and, um, he is on, he's doing ongoing research into his case and he goes back every year to the sites that he remembers to the places where he grew up. And, you know, just in his own research, he was able to find, um, the house um, I think he says in the film he's been coming back there every year since 1980 something and um, like I said he's, he's doing on, ongoing research so this is uh, you know new stuff that's um, that's he's learning all the time and he showed me even more stuff about the case and showed me photographs and stuff like that Of course it's only a two- hour film and his part is only so many minutes long. So we couldn't put all the detail in there, but he has a lot of um, documentation to back up his story and just showing me, you know, how he's continuing to research. But his story was when he was a, when he was a kid, um, he went to this church and a, uh, a recruiter kind of came up and recruited him and befriended him to come, you know, to get into this cult. And basically what they did, it was a, uh, it was a birthday party and they had some cake and punch and they drugged Greg and they drugged his friend and they put him in the back of a car and he just remembers kind of, um, you know, kind of being out of it, doesn't know how long he was driving. Next thing they know they're in a ritual setting and there are a couple of, of women there and they, um. They're putting some kind of uh, oil or something on um, on Greg's friend. And they're preparing him for sacrifice. These guys are about um, between nine and his friend. I can't remember how, Greg, how old Greg was at the time. But uh, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, and his friend was maybe 13, 12, or 13. And here's the same story again. They put a knife in Greg's hand, and they put their hand over top of Greg, and they force him to uh, to kill his friend.
4: Mm.
8: So, you know, I, I wonder about his story. Uh, Greg kind of talks about how he was chosen, about how his birthday was on a um, very um, specific uh, ritual day, on a day of... Um, uh, the wolf God Lupercus. That was his birthday. and He happened to have the same birthday as his grandparents anniversary day. So it was, it's just kind of interesting. And, you know, uh, the, um, how cults and satanic cults and how, what, how numbers and numerology and dates mean so much to them. And they take this stuff very seriously. So, but you know, um, He went on after he got healing, after he got out of all that, he went on to become an investigator, a counselor, and he has done a lot of ministry and youth and continues to do that now. So, and to write, I don't know, over 10 books. And I want to read every single one of them. I have a couple of them. Uh, He has a book called The Color of Pain, which is about um, boys who have been sexually abused. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm just amazed at what he's been through and how together he has it. Because a lot of people that have been through this trauma, they're a wreck, obviously. Right. And they're, they're just they're struggling in all kinds of different ways. And Greg is just doing so good. It's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, back in the day, Greg has been on all the shows. He was on Geraldo. He was on Montel Williams. He was uh, just, you know... Um, picked out to be on these, uh, some of these, you know, I guess what you would call tabloid television now, but you know, they were, um, when you go back and look at some of the stuff they covered, it was, uh, it was real stuff. And it was, uh, you know, my, in my view, um, I go back and look at it and I believe the research was, uh, was good.
4: What were some of the things that he showed you? Like when you guys took, uh, like in the special features, you go with him on a, uh, Kind of like a road trip, and you go right. to some of the different places that he is, and he showed you a couple of things, like he showed you the entrance to the uh, Spawn Movie Ranch where Charles Manson used to hang out, and right. then also showed you a few other things too. So, what what kind of the things that he showed you? What kind of was the link to his experiences?
8: Um, the one place that he took me, and he goes into a lot more detail in his book about this place called the White House than he does in the film. But um I had somebody contact me and really thank me for putting that in there because they had read his book and they always wanted to see what was he talking about. So um we we kind of drive up, you know, we're driving up this uh, Southern California. It's outside of Los Angeles, mountains and rocks and, you know, everything everywhere, and he, you know, points over there to the White House. And it's been a while since I read his book, but this is a place where rituals, you know, took place. And he has memory of that. And he's met other people in his investigations afterwards and his work as speaking. So I, I think he was speaking maybe somewhere at one point and someone came up to him and gave him information and memories about that house that no, you know, that no one else would know unless they had been there. You know, and it kind of gave him confirmation. You know, I um, it's been a while since I read his book, and again, that the White House that's uh, that's pointed out in the um, I, I guess I should say when you when you buy the film, you have the option to get the get the extra interviews. I couldn't fit everything into the film, sure. So I made a another DVD uh, that you can buy has <laughs> over two hours of. Um, of outtakes and extended interviews and um you know just more interviews that wouldn't fit into the film so this is one of the things that we put in there and i just kind of wanted to wanted to show people that because i thought it was relevant but so yeah that you know that's something there that has a connection and if you, if you want to know about that house you can see it in that part of the film but you can read more about it in the uh, in the book
4: I want to give the before we go on to some of the other stories. I want to get to Guy Calberg's story because I think that's an a definitely a very interesting and well emotionally brutal one. But uh, I wanted to give these guys a chance. Rob has seen the video. Uh, Jeff, uh, do you, any of you guys want to ask any questions about any of this?
7: I kind of do, but I don't know. I don't know how to form it. Um, so, uh, what part of the Bible does the whole Satan where do most of these like satanic cults where do they derive their like history of Satan from what part of the Bible is or is it a common part or is it just basically we're just calling it Satanism you know what I mean like what kind of historical I don't know what parts of the Bible do they sort of bring this uh, you know this cult thing from
8: well okay um we can look at uh passages like ezekiel chapter 8 we can look at the book of kings and i'm not going to be able to give you the exact um exact chapter and verse
7: no no just because, I, I just in your but, estimation well
8: so so when you're looking at uh things like uh, elijah on mount carmel okay
7: mm-hmm.
8: uh, and he uh and the prophets of baal okay um Obviously, the terminology is not Satanist, and I don't think that they were Satanists. They believed that they were worshiping um, Baal, and they were cutting themselves, and they were doing sex rituals and all kinds of things like this, okay? Also, okay, you know, there's an example of, you know, of cutting, of, of bloodletting, which, you know, the demonic presence loves, and the whole idea behind the sacrifice and the torture of somebody is, you know, letting human blood hit the air. So also in the book of Kings you have the Moabite king who sacrificed his own son to gain uh, demonic power to um, overcome the Israelites in battle I believe I don't know if that's first or second kings but if you if somebody um, wants to check this type in type in a search Moabite King sacrifices his son he like threw his son up against the wall mm-hmm. and then the his army was empowered okay with I believe demonic power. Okay. Just kind of went into a frenzy and, um, excuse me. And, you know, fought more fiercely. So, okay. So these are examples of the practices, but what, you know, where, where do we get the name from? Where do we get, you know, um, the, uh, how do we call them Satanists? Cause they're not called that in the Bible. Okay. Um, personally where I get it from and, you know, if you talk to my producer, if you talk to Russ, you'll get different answers, and they're better at explaining this stuff than I am. That's why I had them in the film and not me. But I'll tell you where where I take it from. Okay, I think of Second Thessalonians chapter two. Okay, where it talks about a secret power of lawlessness. Okay, and the power means supernatural operative force. Um, kind of what I um, was uh, was bringing up a little bit ago was, you know, this is Satan's plan B, was to have these followers, have these people, you know, these uh, these infiltrators, this underground network who, you know, we're, you know, I- I'm a Christian. You know, we're, we're believers. Any of us who are believers are out in the open. We have nothing to hide, you know. Uh, the Satanists are not that way. They're What they do is secret, what they do is evil, and they don't want to be exposed. So, for generations, you know, they have... Um, They have been underground, you know, but I believe that this is what we're seeing when we're, when we're hearing about armies, you know, the Antichrist, when he shows up, he's not going to say, okay, I need to get a military. He's already going to have it in place. So,
7: so uh, I, uh, I don't want this to sound condescending at all, but essentially this, all of this has stemmed from like two Bible verses. I mean, is it sort of? it's sort of I, I see that it's a philosophy of lawlessness I get that but right, it's right. like all of this is all of this has come about because of two Bible verses where they don't even no. mention Satan
8: no, or they no call I it Satan no I wouldn't say that at all I mean there's the antichrist is talked about all throughout the you know um, from the book of Daniel you know in the book of Revelation and you know uh first John you know and you know Jesus talked about it you know in the Gospels and thus and Thessalonians. So I look at these people as the armies of Antichrist.
7: Does, okay. But sure. does Jesus mention, like, say, you know, this is Satan? Or uh, how, how does uh, Jesus describe it? And, and I, I, I'm not as well versed in the Bible as you are, but <laughs> obviously. Oh,
8: well, you know, and I'm not a theologian by any means. I, uh, you know, I have all kinds of crutches I use to help me through. And then on top of all that, my memory is horrible. Mine too. So, <laughs> I'm constantly forgetting things that I know and then going back and looking it up. So, but I guess what I would say to you, um, you know, that these people, okay, um, the witnesses that have come forward, that have the whistleblowers and those who have uh, survived and come out of here have, you know, have testified that these people are Luciferian. They worship Satan. They you know, and they have a plan to, you know, to usher in the Antichrist, which goes along, you know, with what we know from Scripture.
6: That was, so, it was um, Second Kings, by the way, the Moabite okay. sacrifice.
8: So, yeah, I mean, and th- this is um, not saying that that Moabite king was a Satanist, okay? But again, a lot of these practices. Are ancient and they go back to those times. Okay, uh, I'm not a, you know I'm not a theologian. Rust Isar, a lot of other people could answer you know these questions a lot better than I. I'm a filmmaker, so but um, you know I believe the connection is armies of Antichrist. These people are obviously practicing something that is completely contrary to um, I, I don't want to say opposite of being a Christian, but obviously they hate God. They, they want to uh, blaspheme God. They want to, um, you know, completely uh, come against him, and they believe that what they're doing is um, is good. They believe Lucifer is good, you know, They and they believe God is evil. So, you know, um, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So I, I don't think by any means, you know, just using the examples, you know, of the similar practices— that it is um, that this is, you know, what we're talking about. I think personally, I think a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon is blinded by Satan, but I would never call him Satanist. You know, interesting. But, <laughs> but sure, you I can. Know, I can it, see it,
4: the distinction there. I, I can see the distinction. I can. I see so, what you.
8: I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but I want to. I want to make sure that I answer his question because I don't want to. I don't want it to look as if I'm trying to avert anything, but you know, if, if I don't know anything, it doesn't mean there's not an answer, but, um, is a very good chance. I don't have the answer to, to what you're asking. I think it's a really good question, but again, I'm not a, I'm not a theologian. I believe these are the armies of antichrist. And does it say in the Bible that there's going to be underground Satanists who, sacrifice people who do, you know who do this um and they're going to call themselves satanists no that's not spelled out in a verse in the bible but we can see what you know just just look at ezekiel we can see you know what those who are you know serving darkness are doing
4: mm-hmm. let's talk about guy Kalberg. let's talk about his experience and uh, this is something that is uh I got to tell you, when I watched it, I mean, it was hard. It was hard to get through. It was hard to listen to, I think, more than any of the other experiences. Uh, What happened to him? And, well, I guess, how did you come? How did he come? How did you come across him? And then also, what happened to him?
8: Um, We met um, Guy Kalberg in Columbus, Ohio at a conference. And he had been through a very traumatic experience, which he uh, tells this story in the film. Um, I think it's been about 20 years ago now. And that was the reason why he drove all the way from Oregon to uh, Columbus, Ohio to to meet us. Because he was haunted by what had happened. And he told people, he he told very few people. But um, because he was ashamed of what happened, he was... Uh, you know, it, it was just traumatizing to him, and and the people that some of the people that he told didn't believe him. So uh, he found Russ Dizdar, and he knew this is uh, this was his field to work. So he came across the United States. It's been maybe two years ago. Um, next month that that he came out and. Uh, Russ was counseling with uh, someone else, so I was standing up there, and one of the team members int- introduced me to Guy and said, "Hey, this is Guy. He came from Oregon." And the guy told me his story, and then he began to break down, crying. Hmm. And um, so I was like, "Wow, this is the real deal." I could I could just tell that this guy had had really witnessed something. And um, so then we, um, you know, we um, worked with Russ, and Guy got some deliverance and went through a freedom encounter there. And uh, a lot of counseling, and uh, so I asked Guy. I said, "Hey, can I can I film your testimony, so I can just kind of have a record of that? And one day I want to make a film. Some you know, I want to make a film about this." And he said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll tell my testimony. So I don't care who you tell." Um, and you know, he uh, the next day actually, we videotaped um, the testimony. But the story is this, and uh, when you're watching the movie. Excuse me, it's a little bit complicated, but uh, guy got pulled into this because of his um, his uh, involvement in drugs and using drugs. So he was hanging out with people who uh, who used drugs, and these same people were involved in a satanic coven. Um, He was um, he was using drugs, and again, he tells this story Um, in the film. When you watch the film, he remembers coming back into this apartment and he they threw him in the shower and he couldn't figure out he's like man why am i bleeding what is all this blood you know doing it's like the water was pink and it was running down so they took him out of the shower and they threw him into a to a room and locked the door and he was just kind of freaked out he's like i don't know what's going on and he busted <laughs> out of that room and uh ran down the road and hid in a, in a church van and then he was arrested the next morning because he um he uh broke into that church van he broke the window out of it but um so then when he was in jail he remembered what happened to him and he tells the story in the film and then he goes even to even some more detail cuz i you can kind of hear me asking him more questions about what happened but he was taken to a place where he saw two kids on like a stone slab and they were torturing these kids they were sexually abusing these kids and doing all kinds of horrific things to these kids and they did horrific things to guy also and then he remembers he remembers them screaming and of course the whole time he's telling this story he's crying and he feels horrible because he didn't do anything to save these kids Mm -hmm. so um eventually they killed the kids and um they you know They take him to a room and the kids are, the kids are laying there and they said, if you ever tell anybody about this, we're going to do this to you. We're going to do this to your family. So, and then they, you know, they did more horrific things to him. And then, you know, that's what happened, you know, before that time that he found himself back in the, in that apartment, getting that shower and he was being washed off, you know, and he even, he explains in the film, he said there were two girls, you know, Um, that put me in the shower and will wash me off, you know, and he's like, what's, why am I bleeding? They said, it's not your blood. It's not your blood. But I mean, you know, I heard him tell that story so many times and every single time he gets emotional, he breaks down crying and he feels horrible about what happened. So, uh, you know, again, um, I have, you know, I have absolutely no doubt that this guy experienced these things and, um, it's uh, it, it's it's a crazy story, but it's one of hundreds that we've heard. He also, hundreds that I've heard. But,
4: yeah. Right. He also mentions that there were military guys present at the the ritual.
8: Yeah, he did. He does say that, and I don't. That might be in the um, in the extended um, in the extended interviews. I think he might mention that. So, um, and I can't remember the details on that, but, um, yeah, he did say that maybe there was some kind of security there or some guy, some guys in, you know, that had uh, tactical gear or whatever there maybe to, to keep him secure. But, um, you know, when I went out there to Oregon, he took me to the place where that, where that stuff happened. He took me to the church where the van was, you know, and we, we went, we tried to find the police officer that arrested him. We couldn't find him that day. But um, we went you know, to all those different places, those locations where it happened, except for the actual ritual site because he doesn't know where it was. He thinks it was up on that mountain there that was by that town. happened in Newburgh, Washington. So and,
4: and w- did he also say, I think this is in the special features as well. Did he also say that he was uh, he felt like he was at some kind of a state? Yeah. Or some kind it did. of house.
8: Like it was some kind of a mansion or something. You know what's interesting? Yeah. Is um when I was flying out to Oregon to interview Guy, I barely made the plane. My plane was late getting to North Carolina and I ran through the airport um, you know, with a backpack full of camera gear and my clothes and the other arm. And I'm a runner man and I I barely made that plane. And I mean, I'm not kidding. I got on the plane and they shut the door right behind me. Wow. That's not an exaggeration, and I found my seat and I sat down next to a guy. And this guy started talking to me, talking my ear off. Super nice guy, blankety blank blank, all this stuff. And then he found out I was a Christian. He's like, "Oh, you're a Christian," and then it was, then he was like, "Well, man, it's so weird that you're a Christian and that I'm sitting next to you because I've had all these Christians witnessing to me, you know, all the you know these last few weeks." And he pulls out this book. It's like. I can't remember what it was. It was like the case for Christ or something. I can't remember what it was. So and then he's like, Well, so why are you going to why are you going to Oregon? Then I told him. I said, I'm making a movie. I said, I'm going to this place, you know, south of uh, Portland. And I told him where it was. He was like, You've got to be kidding me. He's like, that's where I'm from. You know, and then I told him um, you know, some of the details. Um well I told him I told him that the film was about Satanism. And then he gave me details about a place the Guy had separately told me about that mm. was up in the mountains. That was a place um, that it was um, just, you know, as far as this guy concerned, he didn't know if it was true or if it was rumors. But they had, you know, as teenage kids out, you know, doing whatever, drinking, they, you know, you just kind of uh, dare each other to go to a place that's rumored to be. And he gave similar testimony to guy about you know uh certain locations up on that exact same mountain what is that oh it's called bald peak mountain and he Hmm. yeah he he said the exact same name and some of the um one of this one of these houses was called the cat house and the reason they called it the cat house because i guess there was a bunch of uh dead cats hanging up around the place Hmm. and that he told me that separately from what Guy had told me. So they were both from the exact same place. Well, Guy wasn't from there, but this guy was from there. Hmm. And but they, you know, Guy had a connection there. So anyway.
4: Hmm. Let's talk about some of the cases that you do kind of mention somewhat in the in the uh, in the film. And I want to talk about specifically about the Martin preschool case. What are your views on that?
8: Uh, my view on the McMartin preschool case is it's 100 percent legitimate. I um, I don't know as much about it as somebody like Greg uh, Greg Reed, but um, I asked him about it. And again, I can't remember I can't remember everything that he said. But here, I mean, here's the story of kids giving testimony, same thing that kids give a testimony in my town. Okay. Um, You know, is it possible, you know, and I'm not, I'm not referring to Martin at this point, but is it possible in some of these cases, you know, around the world that there's leading questions and um, investigators or interviewers are putting this stuff into people's mind? Yeah, it's definitely possible. And um, that has to be taken into consideration. But when you look at something like the Hampstead case, which has come up in the last couple of years, is anybody familiar with the Hampstead case?
6: No. No, never heard hmm. of it. No, what is that?
8: Um, the Hampstead case is a case that's open now that's uh, taken place in Hampstead, England. And it's happened in the last two years where a brother and sister have come out. And again, they say almost the exact same things the kids of McMartin said. Um, you can watch all of the uh, interviews of these kids online. I, I would highly recommend it. There's no doubt in my mind those two kids at, in the Hampstead, the brother and sister, are telling the truth. Um, it's just, it, it's it's one of the biggest breaks that we've had in satanic ritual abuse ever. It's gotten the most, um, the most press. And, of course, the BBC has put out all these hit pieces on it, uh, saying it's not real and these kids were making up. These kids, I'm telling you, these kids are not making it up. I have not seen any testimonies from kids from McMartin, but from what I know, I personally believe that it was um, that it, it was a true case of satanic ritual abuse. So, and, you know, I don't know how much, um, I, I can't remember what Greg said, but this is what I'm saying, is um, they went back, they hired an archaeologist to, to find, you know, they, they found um, tunnels underneath the school that were filled in, that sort of thing, so...
7: So uh, the BBC had a lot of documentaries saying that this was a com- this was completely not true. that's
8: the the on the Hampstead case. I right. don't know if they had a lot of documentaries, but they had they interviewed the father mm-hmm. who um man I, I would I would highly recommend anybody um, look at the interviews you know at the Hampstead case because these two kids they were interviewed by their mom's boyfriend first, okay. And they, they never, ever changed their story until they were taken into custody, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. But then they were they were interviewed by two professional police interviewers, and you can watch the whole thing, okay? And um, the kids give details about being taken to the principal's house. And the, the interviewers were kind of tricky when they asked questions. And they said, when you went into the principal's house, what did you see when you went in? And they said, I saw a stand there, and this is what was on it, you know. And, I mean, these kids, they, the teachers were all involved, and they give specific details, so many details about tattoos that were on the genitalia of all these teachers and stuff. And, it, I mean, yeah, that, that is the biggest break that we've had, and they, the BBC has put out some hit pieces on it. Interesting. Hmm.
4: Do you have any um, opinion on the West Memphis Three?
8: The West Memphis three, I followed that case for a very long time. And, um, let me say this. I do not know what happened. Um, Dale Griffiths is a friend of mine yeah. and obviously he, um, he was going to be in the movie, but I, I cut him out, um, just because he is in the special features though. I believe, he is right? in the special yeah. features he just didn't kind of um, what he was saying didn't really go with the flow of the film. And I, I had to make some cuts and I just didn't feel like I could, he, he said some really relevant things, but just to kind of pop him in there, it just didn't fit without having him in there more and introduce him. And I didn't want to make the film any longer. So we decided to cut Dale, but Dale was the um the expert witness in that trial. And he's, uh, he's given us a lot of information and there's one thing I wish I could tell you, but I can't, I'll tell you privately, but, um, about what the, um, prosecutors tried to, uh, tried to get him to do. But, um, Dale, you know, Dale believes that, you know, he was contacted, you know, months before this happened about stuff going on in that area. So Dale's convinced that, you know, these kids were doing this and that, uh, Damien and Jason, and is it Michael? Who? No, no, no. Who's it? Jason? Yeah, Jesse, Jason, Jesse, Miss Kelly, yeah, and Jesse. He, he's yeah. convinced they were guilty. Um, I personally never was convinced that they were guilty. Okay, sure. That's my personal take on it. But I will. This is this is my take on it now. Um, I believe that, um, and, and I'm not saying I'm right about that either. Okay. Because I read the book, I've watched the movies, I've, you know, I've scoured over what I know of the evidence, but there's other people like, um, uh, the name, William, uh, William Ramsey, William Ramsey, who wrote a book on it. Who's investigated a lot more than I have. Um, but anyway, um, I'm not saying I'm right about that. I've always felt that, that they were innocent, but this is what I know is the stuff that Damien is into now personally, I think is, is dangerous and he's into some dark stuff now. And I, you know, I don't know. Again, I haven't read William Ramsey's book. I might change my mind and I have nothing against him or, you know, his research. I don't. Um, but again, I, I read the book, um, thick book on it. Uh, um, the web, I forget what it's called. Um, devil's not
4: devil's, yeah, not. devil's not. Yeah.
8: But again, you know, um, that's just one side of the story. Sure. So there, there, there was just a lot, a lot of things that like just didn't add up. I'm like, man. And the first time I saw the movie, I was like, I saw it the year it came out. And I, I just have a feeling. I'm like, man, it just doesn't seem like this, this was right. But also, I think this case, the problem with it is, um, in a way, in the public, Size, these guys were exonerated, so if they're guilty or not, it almost doesn't matter. It does matter, but I mean they'll get their justice with God. But um, if we, I don't, I don't really uh, go after that case because sure. in the public's eyes they've been exonerated, even though they admitted guilt, which you know I think is a very good point. You know, <laughs> um, to get out, I, I don't know what I would do. I know he was on death row, um, so it, it's you know. I mean, the whole thing is a mess, and God knows the truth. Ultimately, so and what what Damien is into now, in my opinion, is dark and dangerous.
4: Yeah, it's a very it can be a very muddy case for sure. Absolutely, um, I want to I want to look I want to look into. The nature of the people involved, because, you know, we talk about, and in, in the West Memphis three case, I mean, look, you know, they were three kids, they were kind of outcasts, they kind of, they were kind of different from everybody else. Uh, so you could really make a case that they were singled out because of that. And, but if you look at one of the, you, you interview a lady that is a pastor's wife I don't sorry. I don't remember her name, but she talked about when she went to this community. I think it was in Ohio, even that yeah. she had that 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 people that were in the upper echelon of society were actually involved in these cult like activities. Let's talk to that for a little bit because this okay, was fascinating.
8: Um, yeah, you're talking about Debbie. Her story was yeah. so incredible to me, and her her story, even though she wasn't directly involved. Um, it, it just blew me away. And here's a lady, she has nothing to gain by telling me, you know, to, making this up. She was very honest. She was, they were, her husband, and her her husband was a pastor. They showed up at this town. They got an assignment of a new church. They're going to go there and have church and praise God and, and see people saved and lives change. And they go there and they, you know, long story short, they find out They didn't know anything about this kind of thing. They find out there's a satanic coven running this town. And it's infiltrated the the courts, the uh, hospital, the doctors, uh, law enforcement. And, I mean, she tells a story. I got so angry when she was telling the story, just hearing the arrogance of this police officer that walked in her back door and backed her up against her counter and just pretty much threatened her. And they they— You know, they had plans to kill these people. They were trying to run them out of town. It was just crazy. And what happened in her case, and and we hear this a lot, is their church was doing so good and powerful things were happening, so they'll send in an infiltrator to try and bring them down, to try and bring the pastor down, to try and make him have an affair, to just try and do any kind of uh, rituals in the church just to cause, you know, chaos behind the scenes, so to speak. But... When your church is powerful and when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens is, is it breaks down their program, and then they begin to reveal things about the covenant, and that's what happened in this case, and uh, it was actually the chief of police' wife that was sent in to uh, to do all this and to cause the cause these problems, and uh, she began to reveal things about the cult. And, man, I cannot remember how much of, um, of Debbie's story I put in the extra. I, I've um, There I've was quite a bit of it, I think. Was there? Okay. Yeah. Because she tells a story about how they called a town meeting about this satanic cult because her husband and herself were exposing this. So they called a town meeting, and she shows up at this meeting, and she said, every single person here is who the chief of police wife's name named. named. He's like, and she stood up in that meeting, she said, and they tried to turn the tables and say that she and her husband were running the satanic cult and they were going to get witnesses to say that they were sexually abusing, you know, them, that the, that Debbie and her husband were um, doing satanic rituals in their living room. And they were trying to say that they were doing everything that the cult was doing. So it's a crazy, crazy story. And that changed her life forever. And when she found out I was making this movie, I didn't even know her. But she said, good, I hope you make this movie, this stuff is true. And I was like, really, how do you know? And then she told me a little bit, and then I said, tell me more. Then she told me more, and I said, hey, I want you to be in the film. And she was willing.
4: I think there's an important distinction to be made here when we talk about this. Because in her case, and also I think that – Michael Lake and his wife. Uh, I heard them on a an interview from a view from the bunker, and she talked about how she had had similar things that were happening in Missouri, and so it, you know we're not dealing with some some punk kids that listen to a few black metal albums and go sacrifice cats in the in the middle of the night. Uh, you know we're not dealing with. Something like the kids that are in the West Memphis Three, or we're not dealing with somebody that's like normal mom and pop, you know, uh, every, everyday average Joe that works at the um, the the uh, gas station, or you know something like that. We're dealing with people that are in the upper echelons of society, police chiefs, mayors, that kind, that level, and that. That's, that was a pretty, that's pretty scary.
8: Yeah. You know, and she said the same thing. There was another pastor named Noel in the film. He gave the same testimony with his experience and the girl that he dealt with. And, um, you know, again, she specified, she said, yeah, are there kids that, you know, that dress in black and into metal, you know, are they involved? Yeah. But at the lower levels, they'll use those guys to recruit, you know, Just like in Guy's case, he was involved in drugs. So, you know, they, uh, the the drug dealers, they were using those guys. They were lower level. And they, um, you know, I believe they wanted to somehow um, indoctrinate or kind of uh, bring um, Guy into the cult. You know, I don't know why they let him live, you know, after that night or whatever. I don't know what, what the point of that was. But, um, they they have pawns, they have people and it's, it's hard to wrap your head around this because we, you know, just the idea that this is, um, happening behind the scenes. So I I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I made the movie and it's difficult for me to believe, but I do believe it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rob, was there anything that you wanted to ask since you've seen the film?
6: Yeah. Um, one thing that kind of struck me after finishing it was there's a lot of um, obviously a lot of real awful things are you know discussed as having gone on, and it's particularly in Guy's case, um, there's no, no real mention of any like criminal investigation into any of this stuff. Was there a
8: side of that to this at all? Um, sorry, I mean a piece of ice. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, not. Not that I'm aware of. So I'm trying to think of a, of a specific um, case that that's in the film where there was any kind of law enforcement involved.
6: Well, like with with his story, what struck me was that he talked about how you know he witnessed these horrible things—two children being sacrificed, and him being covered in blood and carrying this guilt around—and finally he okay. came to where he could talk about it. But did he ever right. go to police or was actually?
8: There- Okay, um, yeah, now I remember. Um, he was actually arrested that night because he broke into the church van. Right. And he was happy to be arrested because he felt safe. And he was um, he was babbling about kids being killed or whatever. And um, we, when I was in Oregon, we tried to track down that arresting police officer, but we couldn't get him that day. We called him, we got his number, we went to the police station and couldn't get him. But um, apparently he went back to that apartment. And he, um, he asked some questions. He's like, okay, what'd you do to that guy? Because he was messed up. He was talking about, um, kids, naked kids, something like that. You know, I don't know. I don't remember the specifics of of what guy said, but that police officer did go back to that apartment and ask them what happened. And I, I don't know what they said, but I'm assuming they denied it. And that was the end of the investigation.
6: So they, they just so, chalked up to his drug use or something,
8: yeah sure sure, which you know is understandable and i I even asked guy that I said okay so what are you going to say to people that say you were on drugs you hallucinated this he said I've done all kinds of drugs I've done all kinds of drugs and he said I've never had this experience before he said I rem- you know I remember this you know and, and I know the details and again if you watch the um if you watch the extra um scenes in the deleted parts of the interview I ask him even more detail and when you, when you watch him answer those questions he's, he's not making it up on the spot he's, he's given the best he can to his rec- recollection So, mm.
4: well Tom it has been fascinating and I think we've barely scratched the surface of what's in the video and that's good so tell everyone that uh, where they can get it how they can see it and, uh, what's next for you?
8: Well, um, if you go to the website, detestablefilm.com, uh, you can buy a copy of the film there and you'll see two options. You buy just the movie and for 20 bucks or for, uh, for an extra five bucks, you can get the over two hours of deleted scenes. We'll uh, send that DVD too. And, uh, you can, you can get that whole package there. We have it in a nice digi pack. A lot of people have complimented us on, uh, on you know, the packaging and the artwork. Uh, we put a lot into it. But uh, also, uh, if you're not in the U.S. and you don't want to order a DVD, you can go to Vimeo and you can rent it for 72 hours for okay. six dollars, and um, that works really good for people who are overseas. And you can also buy it digitally on uh, on Vimeo on Vimeo if you want, and um, it's lifetime streaming. So.
4: Excellent. Excellent. And what do you work on? Are you working on anything next?
8: I am in the very beginning stages of making plans for the next project. We're not really ready to announce it yet, but I'm excited about it. I'm praying about it. Um, this this project, making this film Detestable, just took a lot out of, uh, out of my life. And my family sacrificed a lot for me to make this film. And I'm just really kind of easing my way back into it because... I know what it takes. Uh, we you know, put our heart and soul into this thing, and um, I, I am preparing for, for something, but uh, we're not 100% sure you know, what direction we're going to go, but excited, hopefully, uh, in the next month to make an announcement on that.
4: Excellent. Well, thank you, Tom, and uh, I think we're going to close this section out. Guys, we will be back, as usual, on Conspiracy Normal.
6: All right, and we're back. So uh, so in the show, we, we like to have guests with lots of different varying viewpoints. And this is one that kind of drifts a little bit further away from where I stand, especially philosophically. Um, I don't tend to see the world as like a good versus evil mm-hmm. kind of a thing. For me, it's all right and wrong. Morality is derived from something more personal. Yeah. Um. But with all that aside, there was, I mean, some interesting cases and definitely some uh, some very, very dark, dark stuff.
4: Yeah. And before I kind of get Luke's impression, and uh, Jeff left to go to Home Depot.
6: Yeah, he had some home improvements that were...
4: Yeah, apparently.
6: Very very urgent (laughs) on a Sunday night at 9 (laughs) o'clock.
4: But, you know, um, you... I I lent you the video. Yep. I think you just you did you watch the special features too or did you just No, just the, just the the main DVD. Just the main DVD. So, I I I kind of want to get your thoughts on the film and then what you just heard. Well, um
6: I mean it's tough like I said it's the film was done well. I definitely recommend that, that, you know, if you're interested in this at all to, to buy it and watch it. But for me, it was a little bit too, um, I mean, being not a Christian, Mm -hmm. it was, uh, it, it was a little bit, a little preachy and a little bit sort of, um, it felt kind of like, also like fear propaganda to me, you know, if you don't, if you go out and do this or this or this, you're going to fall in the hands of Satan, and then you're going to be doomed. And and I mean, I grew up with that kind of a a setting, mm-hmm. so like it's not coming out of nowhere for me. But it's it was hard for me to kind of look past that at times.
4: Mm-hmm. What did you think about some of the um, apart from that? Some of the the testimony, some of the accounts.
6: They well I mean they definitely come off as very genuine and heartfelt and I'm I, I'm not trying to, to to discount that this kind of thing happens because I'm sure that it does sure. I just personally don't believe that there's like a mastermind satan behind it all that it's just human beings doing horrible things because human beings are capable of horrible things
4: yeah I mean certainly we could you could take it from that angle and you could say that this is either a form of mind control or just what you just said, just horrible things done to innocent people. Right. And you could definitely take it from that angle. Uh, Despite what it's evil, no matter what the nature of that evil or the source of that evil would be necessarily if it's humans doing it or if it's Satan doing it.
6: Right, it's wrong. Uh,
4: yeah, it would be wrong, regardless. Um, Luke, you were you were listening?
5: Yeah, <laughs> of
4: course he was. <laughs> what are you
5: trying to say?
4: <laughs> I, I just, um, you know, I mean, you were there with you were there when we interviewed Russ Dizdar the first time. Yeah, which was back in March or fe- February of 2013. And actually we lost that show because I had an updated power gramo and it didn't record. So all it recorded was just our, uh, I tried to get you to do voices. things the
5: illegal way. You wouldn't
4: listen to me. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> but anyway, so you heard that interview. Now you hear this. And I'm just want to get your, get your opinion on some of this stuff.
5: Um, uh, well, I mean, you you know I don't like to, like, speak out, and I, I, I admire Jeff for, like, what he did kind of, you know, counteracting.
4: Well, I think he asked a good question, and yeah. he asked a valid question. Yeah.
5: He, 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 and he he did phrase it appropriately and everything. Right. And, uh, um, I'm over here thinking, like, all I could think is, you know, back, back before I settled down a little bit and back before I was in a relationship, I was like, man, I'd do whatever it takes to— experience some kind of phenomena. Yeah, come take over me, man. Come possess me. I'm ready. Let's okay. do this. <laughs> you know, because like I other than uh, you know, the little things here and there, they're just weird circumstances or whatever, like I never experienced any kind of phenomena or whatever. You know?
4: But how does it, that fit into the veracity of these claims about the satanic ritual?
5: because what i what I'm trying to say is that they're they're just it's it's just hard for me to believe
3: mm-hmm.
5: there's there's so many um there's so many details um attached you know uh it, it's it's hard for me to believe because as as someone that doesn't really get to experience anything yeah and, and um like I was saying to rob um i, I believe that someone that I believe that someone would have to open themselves purposely to get possessed by a demon. You know, I th- I think that it they would actually have to go through these steps to to open themselves to the level that they they could possibly be possessed by a demon. You know, like a uh like a an a cult sort of uh practice, yeah. you know.
4: And definitely that's what we're you know, what's being described there. Yeah. Is some kind of occult practice. I mean, do, do I think it happens? Yes. Yeah.
6: Uh,
5: is it common? No,
6: definitely not. Yeah. Well, and the DVD focuses more on sort of um, uh, the premise that there's this vast underground network of Satanists working hand-in-hand um, sure. globally, which we didn't really address a whole lot in the interview, but which is an interesting concept in itself, Um. I can see the fact that there's all these similarities between these different cases that he's, he's come across, and there's no real other basis or foundation for yeah. um, for those similarities to exist. But, again, I don't know if that's enough, enough for me to believe it.
4: But. Well, I'll tell you where I come from on this. I mean, not... Too long ago, maybe when I first started doing the show, I don't know how much of I could say that I was a firm believer that this stuff was going on, or whether I really thought about it critically. Um, definitely growing up in the 90s, and I remember in the late 80s, this stuff, the whole satanic panic thing happening. And uh, we addressed this a little bit when we, you know, after the Mark Devlin show, and you know, Jeff could have spoken to this as well about how, you know, that was a big thing at that time. You're a little younger than me, and Rob and Luke's about eleven years younger than I'm me. A, I'm am several hundred years old. But yeah. Go on. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> but so so you may not remember it as well. Right, as like as like I remember it, um, but I had heard about the Satanic Panic, about how it was mass hysteria, how it was this, how it was that. Um, I never really paid any attention to it until I started looking into some of the things around about, I'd uh, say two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Some of the things about Russ Dizdar, what he was talking about, uh, whether any of this stuff was true. And I'm still very much 50-50 on it. I'm halfway to no, and I'm halfway to yes. And when I looked into cases like the McMartin preschool case, I heard Russ Dizdar on Coast to Coast, and I heard someone directly challenge him, one of the callers, about the McMartin preschool case. I had never really heard about the case before, And I did some study about it. And there's actually a good uh, movie that HBO did in the 90s with James Wood. It's called, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's an HBO movie. And as he described there, talk about the kids and the claims that they made and the supposed tunnels that were underneath the... um, Underneath the preschool, um, there were some weird claims that were – yes, the kids did claim that they were part of these satanic ritual abuses, that they were being taken underneath the school and they were being messed with and all this. They also claimed that Chuck Norris was part of it. Mm Mm-hmm and there was a lot of other weirdness about it and when they when they looked at uh, the the reason that the mcmartin preschool case started now this is everything that i have studied about it the reason that it started was you had a mother that was later proven to be schizophrenic proven to have a mental issue and she had all these claims about her ex-husband doing stuff to her son. Um, it was either a son or a daughter. I don't remember. But she had all these claims about it. And all of a sudden she began to accuse. She was also a drug addict, by the way. And she began to accuse, um, she began to accuse the McMartin family of doing things to her kids. None of it was later ever proven to be true. But a lot of the parents believed it because kids started coming up with these stories. And when they finally looked at it, it was one of the psychologists or the psychiatrist, whichever, that was talking to uh to the kids, and a lot of it was on the like kind of this idea of the power of suggestion. Like whatever the psychologist would suggest, the kids would come up with. Right. Because and they, I always wonder
6: about that when children are yeah, involved.
4: Well, because children are creative naturally, and they will come up with weird stuff.
6: Well, and we teach them from an early age to mm-hmm. listen to adults. And right. They learn from an early age that agreeing is usually the best policy. And...
5: Right. It, and uh, another thing that I I forgot to mention, too, that I was trying to think of was, uh, you know, I'm like a heavy believer in astrological traits assigned to people, you know, in uh, numerology and, like like, fine mathematics, like, applied to... You know your birth date and stuff like that and and the uh, and correlation with the cel- the uh, celestial body, so like I think that people born on certain days and certain times are more um susceptible to things paranormal things happening to them and that that's a that's another big thing for me in my in my, my little universe yeah. that's going well, on in my yeah, head. yeah,
4: okay, could be could be. Um I also find just to just to kind of conclude the pre the McMartin case, it was I mean it went to trial for years and it was it went to uh it went nowhere. Eventually everyone was 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 acquitted. Everybody, you know, that they were they were they were not found um guilty. Uh it lasted from nineteen eighty-four to nineteen ninety. Now To go back to what you just said, Luke, I do find some things interesting about in a connection between some of this satanic ritual abuse stories and some of the alien abduction stories. One of which is, is that there is a claim by some of these satanic ritual abuse survivors, especially women, that say that they were uh, that they would be impregnated by somebody in the coven, and they would have these babies, which were later used for ritualistic sacrifice. Right. Compare that to the women that claim <clears throat> that they are taken on board craft by aliens and put, an, and put an alien-human hybrid in their bellies, and then the alien-human hybrids are later – they're later reabducted and taken and – then uh, they never see their, see the children again. It's very, There's a very similar there aspect is. And, to it.
6: And I haven't looked into enough of these cases to know if there's any documented, um, you know, this lady was pregnant up until third trimester and then suddenly she wasn't. I don't know if there's a lot of cases out there like yeah. that or not. But to me, that speaks to some sort of um, psychological need on the... Uh, The woman's part herself, like I I mean,
4: yeah. There's something very psychological about that.
6: Yeah, for
4: sure. We can say, "Lip something, Luke."
5: I mean, you know, you know, the new age community seems to think that there's like aliens traversing among us right now, and they're disguising mm-hmm. themselves, and the whole inner earth theory with cities on, beneath the earth and everything else. But
4: well, David Jacobs believes that he believes there's aliens among us.
5: Well I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, yeah. I, I'm with you on the alien abduction is is too close to, you know, um, think things that happen in the mind. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's too too closely related
4: yeah well I mean I do believe that we're dealing with a spiritual element we're dealing with something that is outside of ourselves but what however it 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 um chooses to manifest itself um another interesting aspect of it is too is that with with that is similar to the alien abduction stuff is the the use of hypnosis a lot of people have retrieved these memories these satanic ritual abuse memories from being hypnotized, ah. and then you know, with that also goes into well, people having these alien abduction experiences. So, are we dealing with something that is real? Is it a hypnotic suggestion, or is it a possibility that the hypnosis is causing an altered state of consciousness where people believe that these things happen to them?
6: Or it just it could be some reflection of some um, deep subconscious, either yeah. fear or. Mm-hmm something that just bubbles uh, to the surface and
5: and assuming that uh, everyone shares a mass consciousness like then you're really it's really likely that you would pick up on something that is kind of floating out there in
6: the ether right trends and yeah
4: Yeah. Now, now i will say this now i'm gonna i'm gonna say this for the the rest of the of the cons part of why i'm 50 50 on this the FBI found out yeah, after all these claims for all these years, through the 80s into the early to mid 90s, they looked into it and they found nothing. There was never any mass graves where they supposedly where they were supposed to be. These the they said that these things never happened. Now someone will easily say, and especially in this very conspiracy oriented culture that we had, well, the FBI was obviously trying to cover up. And if there are people that are high up and they are Satanists, yeah, they would try to cover it up, okay? So, and then also, too, people that were in California that were, uh, you know, this was apart from the McMartin case where they were all accused of satanic ritual abuse. People's lives were ruined by this. Uh, these were just normal run-of-the-mill working-class people. So that happened. Now, pro side. I can't discount it completely because you have events like the Dutroux affair in Belgium. Uh, Dutroux was a Belgian uh, criminal who later came out and said, and this was also in some, and this is in court documents from Belgium, that there was a chat that there were some serious child pedophile. Sex rings that were going on in Belgium, stuff that even went up so far as to like the prime minister and the royal family of Belgium. In fact, if you read some of the Dutro affair stuff, there is some nasty stuff that borders on a lot of what Tom described. Secondly, you have the Franklin cover up. Franklin cover up was uh, about this, I believe it was like Franklin. Uh, God, I had to look into it. I'd love to get the guy – there's a guy I'd love to get on about that wrote a book about this. But this took place in Omaha, Nebraska. And a lot of people say that this was false accusations. But there's a lot of been other – there's been other court cases that have upheld this and said that this was real stuff. Um, that there was a um, a guy that uh, was uh, ahead uh, – He was he was using – Boys from Boys Town in Omaha, Nebraska, which was this huge charity for orphan kids, and they were using them. These were all male child prostitutes that were being funneled even as far away as Washington, D.C., okay? Uh, that's the Franklin cover-up. There was a do- the Discovery documentary that was made about this that – but you can find it online – uh, that was never aired. Discovery was forced to pull it at the last minute in the mid '90s. Mm. But you can see it. it oh, is on I know YouTube. what you're talking about. You've you've watched it. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So that has links to stuff like the Johnny Gosh case, which there's a film called "The Who 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 Took Johnny Gosh," who was a kid that uh, in the early '80s that disappeared from West Des Moines. Iowa, which is not far from about 100 miles or so drive from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, there's links to, and there's links to that case and to the Franklin cover up. Thirdly, is something called the Finder's case, which yeah. Luke is familiar with, but we've never talked about on this show. Finder's case. Was a case where there were these children that showed up somewhere in Florida that were all that were living in a van with these two other adults. Always Florida, and they were yeah, and, and they were they, they were uh, they, they were wearing tattered clothes and they were dirty. And they later found that the, the, the investigators later found where these children were coming from, and they found a whole bunch of other children that were being raised by some kind of weird cult. Now this cult had connections to the c i a and to other um and to other intelligence agencies that's crazy, yes, and they had links in washington d c as well uh look at uh Sandusky, Penn state. Why was that guy able to get a- why was he able to get away with uh what he got away with for so long when uh, they say, well, was he that good of a football coach that he was able to? They were able to cover for his ass and basically ruin that coach's long illustrious career. Uh you know when he was when he was caught ten years before raping a ten year old boy in the shower. You know what were the connections with there? Uh, you know this, it seems like there was a lot more going on with that case than a lot of people know about. And um, it, it, finally, it, what we talked about before, Jimmy Savile, <laughs> uh, the, the pedo bear, in, in, and we talked about that with Mark Devlin extensively. So you have all those cases, and you have links with intelligence agencies, and you have links with a lot of occultic secret societies. So to totally say— uh-huh. That the satanic ritual abuse stuff is all crap, I cannot say because of the because of the existence of all these other examples that I know about.
6: Right, and I, I, I totally agree with you on that point. Um, I just don't know how grand a scale it is, and I still don't think that it comes down to an ultimate battle between good and evil. I think it's just more people yeah. with power abusing their power and... Helping each other cover it up to do things that are wrong.
5: You're so good at making points.
4: (laughs)
6: That that was very well enumerated.
4: I I, I would, um, well, you know, personally, I agree with Tom on some of the things he says about the Antichrist. I have my own thoughts on that. I have my own thoughts about the nature of Satan, who he is or who it is. Um, I would agree with most of biblical prophecy um, i don 't get into it because I think a lot of it has been misused, especially by our um, especially by political parties oh, on the right sure. wing uh were you going to say something like i don't, Silence.
6: <laughs> I don't remember well i yeah. I'm trying to think of where I was oh. trying to go there when I interrupted you oh, yeah, go ahead.
5: real real quick um yeah, have you heard these rumors about some kind of island that uh Um, that's been discovered recently with a bunch of like preteen prostitutes on it or something like that. No, I hadn't looked into it yet, but I've, I've been, um, my buddy that's really into politics, uh, squashy said that there's been some talk on some, uh, like political talk radio shows about some kind of Island with a bunch of like Asian, you know, preteen prostitutes that, uh, a lot of our like politicians are flying over in their private Mm -hmm. jets and like going to this island and having like a week of paradise or whatever and then coming back home and- it,
4: it wouldn't surprise me because one of, and you know one of the things they talk about in the book in, in the um, film was he talks a little bit oh, in the special features actually they talk a little bit about Bohemian Grove and Bohemian Grove has been notorious for running in prostitutes yeah male and female and there's been speculation that they've been running in children as well.
5: Well, now that it's gotten all this attention, I'm sure they shut it down and and relocated somewhere else. Yeah,
4: maybe so. Maybe so. Um, I want to talk about... This is kind of an interesting follow-up, if you got the clip ready, Rob. Um, Remember back in the summer, we talked about this woman that attacked... She was dressed in Muslim garb and she attacked these people flying an American flag and tried to take it off of them and attack them. Like come the she something?
6: came running out of the woods.
4: She came running out of the woods. Yeah, this was, this, was in, this was in Lawrenceville, Georgia, where a very good friend of mine lives. And uh, also, I think we're close to Joshua, Joshua Cutchin, lives close to there as well. And um, so they were actually interviewed by NPR just a few days ago, and this is, about, this is why they're voting for Trump. And I want to play this clip. This is about four minutes long.
3: The Arnos see a country in trouble, and they told us a personal story to illustrate why. They say that last May, a woman in conservative Muslim dress seized their American flag off the mailbox and attacked Damie. The Arno's son pulled a gun before the woman was subdued. No shots were fired. Police arrested the woman, and authorities did not say her motive or mental state. But for this family, the incident, which made the local news, symbolized divisions in their ever more diverse county and country. I want grandchildren, but the way this country is right now, I don't want to do that to these children.
2: Think about what is going to be like in 18 years if a child is born right now On its 18th birthday, what is this country going to look like if it continues the way it is?
3: And that's what scares me. Help people understand what is going that wrong. Because we're sitting here in the richest country in the history of the planet. Well, let's see. If you go to a movie theater, your lab will get shot. If you go to a mall, your lab will get shot. Statistically, crime rates are near historic lows. But at a time of high-profile violence, the Arnos are feeling different. If you go to Atlanta or to a major city, you're liable
2: to be shot or attacked. Um, What about just going to the uh, local high school right here? We actually had a BLM protest at two of our high schools right here in county. My son's was one.
3: BLM, Black Lives Matter, is that right? Yes. And And it was over Black Lives Matter and Confederate flags. Some people still fly the Confederate flag around here. The Arnos say they used to fly one too. Then they discovered it made some of their teenage daughter's friends uncomfortable. So they took it down out of courtesy. They kept the framed full length photograph of General Robert E. Lee, which hung over the living room couch as we talked. Jimmy Arno ties racial tensions to President Obama.
2: I know that we were a whole lot further along racially
3: eight years ago than we are today. You think so? Yes, sir. I really do. And the Arnos are planning to vote this fall for Donald Trump for president. Jimmy sees Hillary Clinton as just more years of Obama. He admires Trump's business career and dismisses news stories of Trump cheating contractors and ordinary people. Hillary wants to be elected and Donald Trump wants to be elected.
2: They're going to talk bad about everything that they can about the other candidate
3: so that you vote for them. You just discount the whole thing.
2: So <laughs> I so. discount the whole thing because I want to know what your plan is to help the country. What That's what think, I want to
3: know. What do you think Donald Trump's plan is?
2: Donald Trump, if I understand him correctly, and I hope I do, he wants to stop the flow of illegal people in this country. Stop the flow. Well, by stopping the flow, more Americans
3: have an opportunity to go to work because they're not losing their jobs to illegal immigrants. Now, this is a much debated point, with many studies finding people in the country illegally do not tend to take native workers' jobs. But for Jimmy Arno, the concern about immigration matches his broader concerns about the direction of the country. He's worried enough that on the day we met, he was thinking about whether or not to join a local group
2: it's a militia group and should martial law civil war whatever break out in this country they will uphold the constitution and rebuild our our laws what war do you mean the war that's going to take place when hillary clinton's
3: elected if that happens what sort of a war would that be your patriots your patriots are going to overthrow the government Now, to be clear, the Arnos say they have no plans whatever to start a war, but if some kind of chaos should ever come, they mean for their family to be ready.
4: Okay, so there was a little bit that I edited out of that. That's like a long, it's like six minutes long um, from NPR. They're doing this whole series about divided states, and they went to Georgia because that is one (laughs) of the states that could go either way, they're thinking. It's not necessarily a battleground state. More likely, it'll, it'll go for Trump. Just our, our state's definitely going to go for Trump. But uh, So they were doing that series. And it's interesting that they picked the same people that got attacked by the woman, and the, the Muslim woman. So I guess that lens created – because at the time, I thought – I was really leery about that story, not knowing if it was real or not. But I guess now, <laughs> I guess it was definitely real. So uh, – I find that, I find it interesting because today, or like over the weekend, this is October 16th, they were recording this, you know, Trump has already come out and said that, you know, if he loses the election, that means it's rigged. So, we have people out there now that are going to, are we going to have people that are just normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill people, sure, they maybe they're a little right wing in their politics, maybe they're a little more conservative uh, but the are they going to get really politically active, and are they going to get well, almost like violent, according to that uh, to what the guy said when he started talking about patriots taking the country back?
6: Well, first of all, I don't know where to begin <laughs> picking that audio clip apart.
2: <laughs> yeah, but
6: I I don't think that it's going to get violent. I think that. The election is going to happen, and everyone's going to be disappointed. And four years from now, whoever is in office, we're all going to be complaining about them together. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal.
4: You think it's rhetoric?
6: Well, I've never been attacked by a Muslim in my backyard, but I'd like to think Uh. if I had been, (laughs) I would blame that Muslim, not every immigrant in this country.
4: Yeah. Well, I think we said it on that show that it seemed like those people, when they, when that happened, that they ver- that they very much seemed like very high strung, like they were they they almost seemed like they were preparing for something like to happen for that to happen, and then bizarrely it actually did, and that's why this the, yeah. the woman that attacked them almost got killed by the son when he pulled out a gun on him, and so it was almost uh, a self fulfilling prophecy, right?
6: And how could something like that just randomly happen? I don't think that. There must be there's there's part of the story that we do not know, and I think that's what I said the last time too. Like yeah. I mean, they've been they feuding were, or something.
4: Yeah, if they were against Muslims, and somebody in the in the town knew, and one of the Muslims in the town knew about it and got pissed off, you know who knows? I mean, right. who, who? I mean, we don't know. But Luke, you were listening to that. What did you think about it? Uh, I, Are that, you hearing this kind of stuff uh, mm, out on, out and about? Of course. I I back him,
5: except for his support for Trump. Like, everything else he said, yeah, totally.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a perception out there of people that, especially white, middle-class people, that feel like they are losing control and they are losing power and they are losing their hold on everything that they've held dear. And a lot of them are out there feeling that Trump gives them some kind of hope. And when people begin to lose hope like that, you begin to have a situation where they're going to embrace more extremist views and more extremist politics. And eventually they will – not saying that these people will specifically, but somebody will – you know, just over the weekend, uh, just a few days ago, the FBI caught these guys in Kansas that were—their plan was to bomb a bunch of Somalis in like an apartment complex, and they had this plan to uh, place all these bombs around it so they could kill as many people as possible, including children, by the way, and th- these guys were serious. Of course— They were pretty much entrapped by the FBI because one of the guys, one of the guys that uh, their their contact that was giving them the weapons to do it was, and it was the FBI guy. So this is the same old story again, except they're not doing it against Muslims. They're doing it with quote unquote Christians now. And they called the, apparently these guys called themselves the Crusaders. So I think when this rhetoric is out there, you know it's it's not just going to be muslims anymore it's going to be also people that are against them and they're going to start doing this they're going to start doing the exact same thing that the muslims are that that muslims are doing <laughs> it, it, you know yeah. I, it, it really it really worries me it's just like just, you know people in the you can really make a case that people in the islamic world that a lot of these people feel like they have no hope, and you know there's some other things that we've explored with Dr. Furnish that you know says, shows that some things in the religion itself lend lend to this, but when you have someone that has no hope and has no no means, they do uh go to extremist views. so what's going to keep somebody like these people that we just listened to what's going to keep them from feeling like they have no more they have nothing else left or what's going to happen with if their children feel that they have nothing else left in in a in a society that all of a sudden they live worse than their parents are they going to lash out are they going to be the ones to become a, a new breed of extremist terrorists I don't know it, it it's it's uh you know people losing power and wanting to keep it. It can be a dangerous game sometimes.
5: One of the one of the things that he said that that rang most true with me that it's like unrelated though is that there were no race issues a few years ago. I mean, like they they were kind of all created if you think
6: about it. Yeah, I'll agree with that. that was the one thing that he said that yeah. things have definitely gotten a lot worse um, over I, the past five years or so.
4: Yeah, and at the same time, though, you know, I said in the earlier show about uh, this lady that was saying that before Obama there was no racial strife. Well, I mean, I don't think that that's a true statement,
6: right? But I do think that, and I can't directly pin anything on Obama either. I can't think of a single, yeah, correlation.
4: Well, I, I can think of I can think of one thing Obama said that per, I think pretty much started this, where he did not remain impartial, as he should have remained impartial. And let me say this. I don't think if Donald Trump was president, he'd be any better because Trump just says <laughs> stupid shit. <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, the one thing that I can think of was when trade the whole Trayvon Martin thing came out. I think Obama should have just left that alone, yeah. not spoken about it. I mean, the police shootings, that's a little different. Because these are government officials, not necessarily federal government, but government officials. And he does have to answer a little bit to that. But with the Trayvon Martin shooting, that was not a government official. That was your, this wannabe asshole, cop, at, cop, wannabe cop asshole, let me put it this way, that killed that kid. And Obama comes out and says, well, that could have been my son. But that's the and day. that was the beginning of that was the beginning of this perception about Obama that he in my mind and when he when he left his impartiality at the door as he should have done as president he that's that was the point where a lot of people said oh Obama is just going to support he's going to support blacks over whites and a lot of people began to have that perception whether Obama meant that or not. I don't know, but that was the perception. So, gun control agenda. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that would be part of it too. But, you know, look, I, I do agree in some ways because, you know, when we elected him, and I voted for him in 2008, I'll admit that, you know, when we elected him, it was like it was a big moment. First black president, you know, we're past this racial divide. But somehow, even though our president is black, even though people in his administration are black, even though we we should live in this colorblind society that has been created, that should have been created since the 1960s from King all the way to Obama, you know, and then all of a sudden, but we have more racial strife now than we have had, than we had before. And it's like, what happened I don't know if there's an easy answer to what happened. And I don't know if you could necessarily blame Obama himself.
6: Well, I think a part of it, well, let's go back to the clip. There's, the guy said something over and over and over again. And the NPR guy kept disputing it. But it was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, statistically, you're more likely to get shot in a theater. And statistically, you're more likely to get shot in a mall. Statistically, you're not. Crime rates are not any worse than they have ever been, ever. Right. They're not.
5: Once again, because everyone's more
4: docile.
6: It's, well, there's that, but there's media has changed in the past four or five years, and we have not caught up with it. We have not recognized it. Social media, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, this instant communication, instant viral, everything is so different from how life was eight years ago that everything seems more dramatic. Everything seems more intense. Everything is happening now. Like, you get all these reports about crimes, and you get people fired up about it, and that couldn't happen ten years ago when we'd watch a news story, and then the next day at the water cooler you'd talk to two people, and then the next day they'd talk to four people, and that's how it used to spread. Now it's instantly you got thousands yep. of people seeing everything that happens all the time, yep. yeah. And it's, um, it's you know, it's the same with the violence as it is with racism as it is with politics. I mean, look at this this political debate—the worst situation we've ever had between two candidates nobody seems to like either of them and we've gotten to this situation for the same reason you know all the stuff was spewed on social media everybody made up their mind off of facts that aren't even facts and we've just all run with it
4: right and you know i've listened to a history podcast and one uh, podcast that i've listened to revolutions in the section about the French revolution, you know, he talks again and again about how so many of the mob actions that happened in the French revolution were because of these rumors that would just spread like wildfire, whether they were true or not. And you see in the same kind of effect now, but except it's virtual. It's on what you just described. People are getting information that is either wrong, right information or wrong information, but it's all being filtered through Facebook I mean, look at the phantom clown phenomenon. I mean, you know, look at the, the phantom. Compare that to what happened in the 80s with the phantom clown phenomenon where you had maybe Lauren Coleman or a couple other guys writing about it. Compare that to now where it's all of a sudden exploded and social media has been a tool that has allowed that to happen to where you have these idiots dressing up like clowns now. I mean, that's just one aspect of it.
6: A whole new world.
4: It sure is. Well, I think uh, if there's anything else to add, we're going to call it. So I hope everybody enjoyed their Halloween, and, uh, you know, hopefully the Russians don't attack and everything will be okay.
6: Hopefully but, you're uh, actually hearing this podcast, yeah, ho- and that means yeah, we're all exactly. still alive.
4: Hopefully we're not in a radioactive wasteland. <laughs> L- Luke,
5: Luke dressed up like Mad Max. So, uh, Dude. I'd be the guy like I, at the helm playing the guitar. Yeah,
4: you would be the guy.
5: <laughs> I'm down on so, the crazy like bungee thing. <laughs> hopefully it'll hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll get some radioactive slime on me and I'll become like a badass.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Best case scenario. Four hours.
5: Right,
6: so play twelve string, <laughs> <the> six
4: <laughs> Next time we have uh, our our 2016 election special. And we are going to have on an interview with a Trump supporter, someone that's a diehard Trump supporter. We're going to find out why he likes Trump, and we're going to have uh, Scotty Roberts back and Rocky Stucci did you back on to, the show. Did you go to your marry favorite him? Rocky Stucci? Oh, Rocky Stucci. He's going to bring the meatballs. <laughs> And by the way, guys, uh, we do have a website, www.conspiranormal.com. Please check it out. And uh, Luke, take us out. Uh, you might have to pause there. And on that note, everybody, thank you for listening to <laughs> Conspiranormal. Conspiranormal.